Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano, and it's been like three weeks. And I'm James Wyatt. James, welcome to, uh, welcome back, I guess, to our show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> James, uh, for those who don't know who you are, introduce yourself to, to everyone out there. I'm James. I'm a senior designer on the Dungeons and Dragons team, um, and I've been at Wizards since 2000. But I spent a, a six and a half year detour in the middle of that 21 career working on the Magic um, world building team. So I'm the stream crosser, the crosser of streams. Gosh, golly, James, Dungeons and Dragons. But what does that have to do with Magic the Gathering? Everything. <laughs> At least this week. <laughs> no, don't send me off on a tangent about how early magic world building is eerily similar to D&D, but that's a whole other thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, uh, a set you worked on, uh, a set I worked on for full disclosure, so viewers out there know that I am coming from a place of slight bias. Uh, <laughs> um so, so uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, D and D in MTG uh, for the first time ever, uh, in instead of vice versa, where we've had a, a couple uh, magic product, magic. Well, I guess they're D and D project. Uh, pro- hmm. D and D products, yes. Products. There we go. That's the word. Yeah. Uh, some of which you've worked on. All of which, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all of which. Um, that's right. Almost all. You're right. You 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 had done the um, what were the the little PDFs, plane shift, plane shift. Yeah, uh, with some like basic D and D adaptation stuff, uh, and then uh, a couple full D and D books for Ravnica and Theros. And uh, you work on the Strixhaven also upcoming. Yes, I am working on that as well. Yeah, that'll be out later this year. That'll be uh, neat. But Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, out on digital currently. Paper releases, I know, were pushed back in some places, and there's, like, limited supplies because we're still in the pandemic, and producing physical materials is sometimes a little won- sometimes a little wonky. Yeah, so the, this set's fully previewed now, and uh, we're, we're going to chat about it, James. So I, uh, I guess start, uh, what was your involvement with this set? So I was the creative lead for mm-hmm. AFR, which... In in any magic set means working on the world guide, um, leading the flavor text team, and concepting, writing the art descriptions for the artists for almost all the cards, and basically sitting with the design team throughout the whole process and uh, helping them. Although in this case that was super easy because the design team was was pretty full of D D fans who. Uh-huh. Uh, already had pretty clear ideas of um, the sorts of things they wanted to implement in the set. So it was it was not hard to keep them on task. For the Magic fans out there who uh, don't have a kind of robust D&D background, or maybe even a passing understanding of what the world and game are like, uh, can, can you kind of just like explain what D&D is for Magic players who may not have tried it? Sure. I uh, wow. Um, <laughs> That's a very broad question. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Um, but D and D is a role playing game where you make a character, and that character is you. You play the role of that character as they go on adventures in the world. Which um, the Forgotten Realms is 
one of many worlds in the D&D multiverse, um, much like the magic multiverse. But you you roll dice to determine your success as you do various things and weave stories cooperatively and fight monsters and win treasure and, you know, fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like the worst explanation of what D&D is <laughs> in a nutshell ever. Hope that helps. That's okay. You were in the creative. Uh, you were the creative lead, not writing marketing copy. So we'll forgive right. you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I love tabletop RPGs, and I Me think too. it's fair to say that D and D is pretty popular historically. It, it is, I think, nowhere close the biggest TTRPG of all time. I think that is fair to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it. You know, we've we've seen, uh, especially you know, in in the wake of Stranger Things, a huge resurgence of D and D and pop culture. Um, a lot of actual play shows and podcasts springing up, um, many with huge reserves of talent behind them. And then some of them are our podcast. Yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> but like, but like, our characters are fun and. <laughs> that's that's the fun part about it is is your own little personal adventures which is one of the things i i like best about the um the genre is uh a kind of uh personalization that you can do on all kinds of levels but uh yeah yeah dnd is uh largely um kind of a a generic fantasy although it has plenty of its own quirks uh along the way and and unique things one of the ways I've talked about the set um, is uh, for for people who aren't familiar with D and D is that uh, this is like any other new plane in Magic. Uh, it has its own rules. It has its own resonant flavor. And if you kind of approach it with that kind of mindset, I think it seems a lot less alien. But also there are just also just a lot of familiar things. Uh, a lot of analogous things in Magic existed in D and D first. I, I've seen really good feedback for this set, which is which is fun. But you mentioned uh, I, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned: uh, the Forgotten Realms being one world in D and D's multiverse. In Magic, if we say like you know Amonkhet is one world in the multiverse, you can sum up Amonkhet very easily. It's one ruined city now in vast desert expanses. Forgotten Realms have literal decades of lore, though. Yeah, I was going to say maybe a better comparison is Dominaria. Right? I think <laughs> actually Dominaria has less established lore for it than the than Toril uh, does. That that is probably true, just in terms of years, but uh, but is similarly difficult to sort of pin down and define, as we discovered working on the Dominaria set. Yeah, so um, I mean that that is a good lead into the question. How do you distill the Forgotten Realms down into a single Magic World Guide and a single Magic set where you have like two hundred sixty-ish cards to to showcase literal again literal decades of lore? Well, showcasing decades of lore is absolutely not our goal. Uh huh. <laughs> really giving it so. You're right that that Adventures in the Forgotten Realms is like any magic set, um, a, a, a dip into a a world that we mm -hmm. want you to experience. And there's there's a second layer to it though, which is a little different than than mm -hmm. most other magic sets, which is that we want you to have a taste of of the experience of what playing D and D is like as well. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> so you're simultaneously exploring the world and touching on the game, which which is a little different for this. But so the world guide um, was pretty focused on um, the various peoples and monsters that you find in in D D generally and the Forgotten Realm specifically, because the the Venn diagrams there are pretty much a circle. Mm-hmm. Highlighting um, what different character races look like, what different character classes look like. So, you know, how can you tell at a glance that a card is a fighter or a paladin, for example? And then hitting on uh, a couple of key locations in the realms, we wanted to make sure that we could show you when we're looking at a swamp card. It, the Mirror of Dead Men versus the Lizard March, Liz- mm-hmm. Lizard Marsh. Um, as prominent locales in the Western region of the Forgotten Realms that we focus on in most of our, our recent adventures. Um, <clears throat> and then the the one sort of thematic element that we did want to get across in the world building in this set was the idea that there are ruins all over the place in this world. This is mm-hmm. a, So that is really our nod to the deep lore is, yes, this place has thousands of years of history, uh, has multiple past civilizations again similar to dominaria in that way yeah. actually but so uh you'll see dwarf ruins and elf ruins and ruins from netheril and giant built structures from the ancient past um sort of dotted across the landscapes sometimes just hidden in the background in some of the art on these cards so that i would it, and that that simultaneously touches on the the depth of history in the forgotten realms but also gets at one of the key things about dungeons and dragons, which is that first word, <laughs> dungeons, right? These uh-huh. ancient ruins are the places that you go and explore and delve into um, as as your adventures unfold often. Not always, but often. It hints at a lot of mystery that exists behind yeah. and beneath everything that uh, you see on the surface, both literally and metaphysically, or um, metaphorically. I can't do words tonight uh <laughs> and also metaphysically <laughs> I, I i yeah <laughs> a small offshoot question um related to that because you you mentioned dwarven ruins and uh the mayor of dead men which is uh name dropped on uh because you mentioned a swamp which has flavor text we have uh for the first time in magic history basic lanes with flavor text uh so how did that happen that is that is uh Coming from a person who worked on that team, when you said, hey, we want to do flavor text on basic lands, I said, but we can't do that. That's not a thing we do. That's sacrilege. <laughs> so how does something that novel happen? So it, it's an idea that came um, pretty early on from the design team. Um, I remember a very early meeting um, with... Aaron Forsyth, where we were sitting down and showing him how how it's pl- how the set was playing at that snapshot in time, um, but the playtest card basic lands had not the final flavor text, but some version of this this kind of flavor text on them um, as a way of of selling this idea that D and D is all about telling stories. It's about mm-hmm. telling your own unique stories that um, that unfold in a different way every time and so just having a hint of narrative in even the most basic building blocks of the game um, was something that that seemed pretty natural to do and um, I was not sold on it initially because it, it seemed weird to me too 
Mm -hmm. I took some convincing of what the right direction to to take these in was. Said Lorelai, you know that we went around with a couple of different approaches on the Flavor Text team. Yep. (laughs) Even in the final stages there. But where we ended up with, uh, I'm really happy with, which is Mm -hmm. these are our single sentence adventure hooks um and uh-huh. you can you can imagine a d20 table in a D book that has these these 20 bits of flavor text on them that um gives you in a in a dungeon master voice that second person narration of you've traced the tensions in 10 towns right the the very beginning or nugget of a story idea that you can uh, run with and and let your imagination fill out yeah, one of one of the things that excited me about that when I saw like the final version of what these lands would look like is that like if you're new to D&D and you're trying to build a campaign, shuffle up these basic lands and just like deal some out and construct an adventure around the things you find. Uh, yep. <laughs> and if you're not new to D&D, I mean, well, yeah. Like if you just need adventure ideas. Yeah. Like this set is seeded with what 20 of them? Yeah, 20 basic lands. I'd say if you're also like a longtime D&D player, it's really cool to see this flavor text and think to yourself like, oh, yeah, no, I did that adventure. Even if it's not <laughs> the same one, like you're reading, it, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I remember we we definitely went to the Maelstrom and, and talked to all the, the giants there. And like, it, it's sort of like an adventure hook for some people. And then also like a little bit of adventure nostalgia for other people. And and I think that's a good, kind of a good segue into our, our next question, which is something you touched a little bit on the last one. Uh, how do you attempt to translate the feeling of the RPG into magic as a TCG? Uh, this this is kind of a, a meta mechanics where the thing that is being flavorful isn't the actual world building; it's it's the right. real life mechanical play of D and D, and so. Uh, you know, we we have dice rolling. We have we have, uh, specifically rolling d twenties. Uh, we have uh, venturing into dungeons. We have the uh, uh, you know you've come to a river type uh, choice cards, modal spells. Yeah. We have uh, flavorful ability words. Um, these are all things that fall into this category. Uh, so, I I, I guess. Uh, can you talk a little about like how these pieces came together uh, from the creative end? So yeah, you hit on the the four big things that I think of when I think about um, conveying not just the feeling of the world, but the feeling of, of playing D and D. Shoot, I'm going to make sure that I have them in my head again. <laughs> it's the the. All right, well, well we'll go one by one. We'll start with uh, we'll start with uh, rolling D twenties. Okay, rolling D twenties. Um, so yeah, the, the the story that Jules Robbins, who was the the lead set designer tells is that um, for a while the team was experimenting with trying to find ways to get at that feel of rolling dice. And finally they said, we should have you roll dice, (laughs) Um, which, which is kind of world exploding for black border magic, but it um, sure is. (laughs) And definitely controversial. The, I, I, I didn't actually know this was going to be a set that is was part of Standard uh, when I was working on it. And then it got announced and I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be a weird little supplemental set. <laughs> and uh, y'all just put a lot of little mind-blowy stuff in this set, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's exciting, yeah. though. It is exciting. And I think it's a ton of fun. And, um, you know, the cards are designed so that you don't make a decision about 
targeting and then roll the die and feel bad, mm -hmm. right? Right. You feel, roll the die and you either feel good or you feel great, depending on how well you rolled. Yeah, um, that, is, that is one, I guess, in, in terms of, like, conveying the feel of playing D&D, &D, that is oh, one of the things I've seen some people talk about, is that there's really only two dice rolling cards in the set that punish you for low rolls. And, and I have to assume that is a conscious decision to kind of leave that part out of it, because for a game of Magic, having a card be detrimental or good, depending on something so random as a d20, is uh, a little mechanically unsound. Yeah, for sure. I mean, then nobody plays that card, and right. why did we make it? Yeah, I mean, so there's a fundamental philosophical question here, which is like... Like when I did the plane shift PDFs, mm -hmm. I, I tinkered around with like, what would a mana system in D&D look like? And how mm -hmm. do you uh, convey the feel of ramping up to your most powerful spells instead of ramping down from your most powerful spells in the course of a D&D combat? Those, those explorations ultimately went nowhere because fundamentally, I wanted you to still be playing D&D when mm -hmm. you were exploring Zendikar or Amonkhet or Dominaria or whatever magic world. And then into Ravnica and Theros. And the reverse is true, too. Fundamentally, we still want you to be playing Magic. Mm -hmm. People always make the, the chocolate and peanut butter comparison because that's such mm -hmm. a resonant <laughs> <laughs> marketing campaign from our childhoods. But, like, nobody wants carob and peanut butter, right? Nobody wants chocolate and almond butter. <laughs> you, you have to give people the game experience that they want to be actually playing magic while, while exploring this D&D flavored stuff. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa, to be actually playing D&D while you're exploring the magic world. Yeah, so I, I guess the other real big mechanic is the dungeons, uh, flavorfully. So we, we have three dungeons in, in, in this set uh, named after real adventures and, and such. So uh, can you talk about how those were created a little bit? So again, that's... Those were a thing that came up, came out of design, including choosing the dungeons. Um, okay. So I I took the dungeons in question and went and dived into the adventures to make sure we had cool and flavorful names for each room that matched what was actually in the adventure, um, mm -hmm. which which was fun and <laughs> challenging, and especially once you get into translating into all these languages and making sure that. Right, these German words fit, fit on guard. <laughs> I was gonna say, I I have no idea how those things are getting printed in German, but <laughs> absolute tons of credit to folks on the editing and templating teams for figuring that out. Yes, and also super kudos to the graphic design folks who who made uh -huh. those cards work using art assets from the dungeon tiles that we've published before. It's just fantastic. That that was a cool little tidbit I saw mentioned. It might have been in an article or on Twitter or something, but yeah, I thought that was neat too. So yeah, I I, I think the dungeons mechanic is really fun in um, in opening up lots of strategic gameplay. Right, starting with which dungeon you choose when you when you play a card with venture, but then you know, some of them, you make a choice when you first go in and then you're pretty much confined to one side of the card or the other, but then another one will let you choose every step of the way which which direction you're going. So the, the paths look very different on the three cards and the, the end result is very different on each one too. So yeah, I think that, again, it's one of those things that I was a little skeptical of in the beginning. Like, can we do this in Magic? <laughs> is this That's how magic? I felt. It turns out it is fun. <laughs> My my favorite thing about the uh, the dungeon cards is 
looking at them as someone who's played some of the the campaigns on them and thinking to yourself like oh yeah no i know that room or i remember when that happened in the adventure <laughs> like you're yeah, like that's oh awesome. yeah that's yeah and like it just it's very resonant where you're like oh no yeah i've been there uh on my magic card but in a D game yeah and my hope is that that's the experience that a lot of people have with many of the cards in the set right oh my gosh it's a displacer beast i remember fighting a displacer beast oh my gosh you meet in a tavern like every D adventure um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, stuff like that trying to to get at a lot of those iconic experiences of, of what playing D is like yeah in in a way it's it's like a lot of um you know when magic does top down sets you're looking for resonant things you know where where the core conceit of the card or mechanic or whatever is hey it's the thing and this set obviously has a ton of those lordy <laughs> they're just very good we have a flump in magic <laughs> like that's a thing that exists and that's wonderful yeah, I was super happy to see the bullet or the bullet or I don't know how you say that word, but the bullet card because I have two different funny stories about bullets in different campaigns and it just made me smile. And I messaged both of the D and D groups that were part of both of those stories and it just made me super happy to see those <laughs> random D and D creatures that were part of my campaigns that we have funny stories about and be able to relate those cards to those D and D groups and it was great. That is awesome. Yeah, it was really fun being able to show my D and D group like, oh look, a Sarak and Iamrith. It's like we we have a, oh we have so many memories about playing Tomb of Annihilation. Like that was uh-huh. just an incredible time for all of us. And I get to be like, look, there's that that guy from the end who uh, almost TPK'd us. But not quite, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, awesome. So it's just like yeah, it's just really cool being able to to you know share those experiences between D&D and Magic with people who, you know, none of my D&D friends, well, one of them plays Magic. The rest of them do not. So, like, they have no idea what they're looking at when I show them a Magic card. But they think it's really cool that, like, oh, there's, like, this whole trove of art I can steal from my D&D adventures now. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely sent it to, I I sent the card list to my my, uh, D&D group and was like, hey, when you're looking to make a token for our D&D game, (laughs) there's so many choices now. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I years and years ago, I used to play D and D with, among other people, some members of the Magic Creative team, which was very different and much smaller at the time. But um, Janine McDermott, who was on the team at the time, used to take Magic Commons and a, a one-inch circular punch from a scrapbooking store, and just cut out art to make tokens to put on a battle mat. It really goes full circle because uh, so many of my D&D characters, I take the art that I share with the DM uh, straight from Magic cards. Yep. So <laughs> now we're taking the Dungeons and Dragons art and putting it on the Magic cards already. It's just really shortcutting the process for me. <laughs> yep. Yep. I will let you in on a secret, which is that some of this art will be appearing in D&D books. Awesome. awesome. That is very cool. I mean, the best thing about working on the Ravnica and the Theros books is just having more art than we could possibly use to choose from. Uh huh. Um, and we're in a similar situation now. Yeah, it's uh, wow, gosh, I need like one piece of art for this Simic page. Oh, I guess I'll <laughs> dig through like these four hundred thousand Simic cards we've printed over the years. See, <laughs> see if one works. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah, that that that's just helpful. Uh, yeah, you know, we we talk about the things uh, that this set does mechanically to make it feel like D and D, and all of that seems to have gone over really well with folks. Uh, but there's one kind of controversial thing that is is the thing that is most magic of uh, this set, and that's that we still have five planeswalker cards. We have uh, Bahamut in his uh, human form, uh, Mordekainen, Lolth, Zariel, and uh, Eliwick Tumblestrom. Uh, and so, Planeswalkers, like, aren't a thing in D&D the way they are in Magic. Do you know that there was a book called the Planeswalkers Handbook for a uh-huh. second edition D&D? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, so, I, the, you know, this leads to the question, oh, what is the thought process behind a, just having planeswalkers in this set, and and B, making the choices of these five characters. I guess I guess uh, six if we count Grok, <laughs> which we must. So um, <laughs> the the thought process for including them it was basically magic sets do we, we do planeswalkers now. They're a more or less essential part, mechanical part of the game. Um, it would be pretty darn weird now to publish a magic set without a planeswalker card and there was some debate for a while about whether we would call them planeswalkers or something different i think that mm-hmm. that debate might have coincided with the question of whether this was going to be a standard legal set or not <laughs> although i think that was decided pretty early on but but it's certainly a relevant question as we move into universes beyond and um, dealing with other ips mm-hmm. but uh fundamentally the rules talk about how planeswalker cards work and it just made the most sense for us to to continue calling them planeswalkers here um Mm -hmm. but so we 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 tried to embrace the idea of what a planeswalker is as as a character who is not confined to a single world so all of these characters that we chose for this set are characters um, in D&D lore, or in Eliwick's case, brand new to D&D lore, um, but who have influence and reach beyond a single world. None of them are native to the Forgotten Realms, except maybe Eliwick, but all of them are, are to some degree or another known for traveling from world to world um, and having schemes that transcend the concerns of a single world. Would Loth really scheme, though? <laughs> And Loth is like my favorite example because the the D and D adventure from first edition, the Queen of the Demon Web Pits, where you delve into her lair of the abyss. My favorite mm-hmm. section of that adventure was the one layer where there's doorways leading to all these different worlds where she is sending her agents and armies to try to conquer them. I I desperately want to do something like that again in in a D and D campaign because you know that's what she does. She she's mm-hmm spins her webs across across the many worlds of the material plane as one does when you're a spider demon goddess evil mastermind yep murderer there's there's a lot of uh adjectives and jobs that could describe Lothar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Um, he, he did mention Eliwick is new. She is wonderful by the way. I love her <laughs> so much. Thank you. She is so bright and happy and excited and positive, <laughs> and she she just like embodies the joy of adventuring in a really fun way. Um, we uh, you know you know as we mentioned earlier, uh, 
the, these sets are out on digital, which means uh, as Planeswalker cards, uh, all these characters get to have uh, voice lines in Arena, which was, uh, I can tell you, as someone who started working on Magic preloaded with a ton of knowledge about Magic lore, uh, having to write D&D characters felt... <laughs> it's like I climbed to the top of a mountain and felt good about myself, and then I just like looked up at the mountain that was ten times taller in front of me. <laughs> yeah, we we had some we had some uh help from uh the D D team uh work working on um the final version of these. But yeah, they, they came out great and uh I, I hope people really like Eliwick and, and like her personality and uh Grok's also Grok is her frog for the people who are listening and not aware of that. Grok is great. Um Animal Companion's wonderful. Yeah, uh Brian, you put a question on here about Bahamut that is uh, something a lot of people had been wondering, so yeah, so I guess I'm kind of I'm my experience with the Forgotten Realms is more from the Drizzt novels or Grits novels, um, and there are some very popular characters in the more recent books. One of which being Grandmaster Kane, who was the uh, who used the title of Grandmaster of Flowers. So it was kind of odd to me that the Bahamut Planeswalker would have that name. So I was wondering if, if, if like, if there was lore that isn't available yet or somewhere that I missed. I'm sorry, as my dog slips on the laminate of my house. Um, Calvin's great. We love you, Calvin. Yeah. Uh, so what what can you tell us about that? Because there's, there's not a ton of information about him or, or about his wandering about as the Grandmaster of Flowers, as far as I'm aware. Yep. This So this is actually something new. And the the process of getting there was a little weird and and roundabout. We were talking about a white planeswalker. We thought about uh, how a monk would be a good fit there. Uh, we came up with with the idea of having the Grandmaster of Flowers there. But then, sort of in parallel to that, Bahamut Bahamut came up as well, um, and and we decided to converge the ideas. So Bahamut has a long history in D&D of traveling the worlds of the material plane in human guise. We're going to see more of him um, in soon-to-be-announced products. But he always travels around with uh, seven ancient gold dragons disguised as canaries or yellow songbirds. So you see those in his art as well. Um, but, you know, historically, he's this old wizened sage walking along, hobbling along on his staff, and um, we decided to give him a glow up and um, and make him uh, appear as a young man and um, vibrant and active and healthy. And and so making him a monk uh, fit in with that idea as well. So it, it is a new direction and a, a weird and wacky thing, but um, I'm really excited about this sort of new vision of Bahamut as a a character you might meet wandering the realms. He also has a fishing pole in the art, which is uh, a detail not many people, uh, I, I think, have picked out. Uh, it's just like a good little. He's he's just a he's just a pal. He's just like a guy. Yep. <laughs> um, the idea of like this incredibly ancient dragon god, incredibly powerful, incredibly wise, incredibly charismatic, and just like. Yeah, I'm just going to do something so terribly humanly mundane like sit at the edge of a river and go fishing is just really <laughs> delightful to me. There's like a sense of like 
tranquil humility to that kind of action, which I think um, kind of fits that monk flavor a bit as well. I, I, I like that. He's uh, he's a good dude. Like, literally, alignment-wise, good dude. <laughs> well, we've, we've dropped a lot of names, uh, both of characters and places or uh, adventures. <laughs> All, all night. So, uh, uh, on the other end, so, James, to the magic players out there who are interested in learning more about the Forgotten Realms, the lore behind it, the people who exist in it, the history of it, what kind of, uh, what, where, where can people go to learn those kinds of things? Yeah, it depends on how deep you want to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like a lot of our <laughs> recent um, D and D adventures, uh, I'm thinking Storm King's Thunder. Uh, or even the starter set, actually. So if you want to, if you're a magic player and you want to learn both D and D and the Forgotten Realms at the same time, the starter set is a great place because it's got a one-page, "Hey, here's what the Forgotten Realms is." Um, it's got the Lost Minds of Fandelver adventure, which might be familiar from one of the dungeon cards, mm-hmm. and then it also teaches you to play D and um, D. But so some of our more recent adventures, like Storm King's Thunder, has has a larger section um, talking about the Sword Coast region, um, you'll see mention of Clouth there, of uh, old Gnawbones. Clouth is the red dragon who's uh, in one of the commander decks. Old Gnawbones is the legendary green dragon in the main set. Yeah, she's a good bean. <laughs> yes. She will murder you, but, like, good bean. She's a cunning bean is what she is. <laughs> <laughs> so there's background on some of those uh, legends in those adventures as well as as well as the sort of geographical overview yeah that's the nutshell i will say i um i've played uh tomb of annihilation and i have played storm king's thunder and some other like i've done a lot of D campaigns those two are very memorable to me and the reason why they're very memorable is uh if you really want to know about the sword coast i highly recommend playing in or running a game of storm king's thunder like you were saying like most of my knowledge for for this magic set comes from playing that one campaign. Yeah. It takes you all over the place. It teaches you everything about the lore. It's really incredible. It's a very fun one. And then Tomb of Annihilation is just like an awesome game of D&D, but it is definitely not, should never be your first one that you play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, speaking earlier about how you, how you um, focus in the vast amount of lore from the Forgotten Realms into a, a world guide for a, a card set, we're definitely aware of who our current audience is. And to a large extent, that's people who have played Storm King's Thunder and Princes of the Apocalypse and uh, Tomb of Annihilation. That, that's a whole ton of people <laughs> um, and whose, whose knowledge of the realms, as you said, comes from, from playing through those or running them um, in some way. So uh, we put a lot more focus on things like that than on some of the uh, more geographically or historically out of the way parts of Forgotten Realms lore. Did you have any favorite cards that you got into the set? Uh, just whether it be a favorite character or a favorite story moment, perhaps that you really are excited actually made it into the set. Couple of things. So one that just tickles me is um, Tasha's hideous laughter. Um, and what tickles me about it in particular is that uh, when I was writing the art descriptions for the set, I went to my daughter and I said, what's the most hilarious creature you can imagine being subjected to the Tasha's hideous laughter spell? 
And she said, uh, but here, so that's what's on the card. Um, so <laughs> that amuses me greatly. Um, another one that I had forgotten about until a friend of mine pointed it out to me on Twitter, uh, the card Priest of Ancient Lore. It's a dwarf cleric. I played a dwarf knowledge cleric in a campaign um, for a couple of years recently. and So this is pretty much Smitty. He was 300 years old. He had no sense of smell left after working in the forges for for hundreds of years um and he his tagline was always as it is written um but we are a product of our ancestors the apotheosis of countless noble generations speak their names with reverence and they will guide your path it's totally something that he would say so that was <laughs> kind of my character self insert there we wouldn't know anything about character self inserts on this podcast. <laughs> yeah i, I was life. gonna say do you want to mention the other character insert thingy or is that something we don't really want to talk about i don't i don't know the line there Oh, I asked all the flavor text writers to give me names of characters that they to put in flavor text. I totally forgot about that until just now. Is that what you were thinking of? Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of it because I recognized it immediately because I have played D&D with Lorelai and talked about <laughs> D&D with Lorelai. And suddenly I'm reading a flavor text of a card and it's attributed to Jim. <laughs> and I just went, Lorelai. Lorelai, I know what you've done. It wasn't me. I was asked to. Yep. Um, the other thing that I'm tickled by is uh, the the role that the deck of many things plays throughout yes. this set. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's an artifact that is near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. One of which is um, that it was central to the adventure Madness at Gardmore Abbey, which we published in 2011-ish, I think. But so there, it's got its own card, but then it shows up on Eliwick's card, shows up again with Eliwick in the Wish card, um, mm-hmm. But then Fate's Reversal is a nod to the deck. Oh, there's a blue card draw one. Unexpected Windfall in red. Yeah. Is the gem card. Oh, yeah, I remember what it is. Um, Sudden Insight. Yeah, that's the one. The idea I was trying to communicate there, I had to resort to the flavor text to to explain it a little bit. But the, the Vizier card gives you a flash of insight. And so it's a lucky draw that made the, the half-orc or Orc Barbarian uh, solved the puzzle that it had everybody else stumped. Just a ton of fun. Uh, the deck of many things is always a fun uh, encounter in any D&D campaign you play in. Once the DM pulls that out, you know that things are going to go uh, in a very different direction. After you, my, my favorite thing of the deck of many things is how often it comes up in a campaign and how the first time you ever experience it, you always want to draw. And then the next time you experience it, you get in a fight with the whole party about how no one better draw a single card from that deck. Um, and I actually just pulled yeah. my first two cards from a deck of many things, I want to say two weeks ago, and the DM res- ended the session right after I drew my cards, and I got the skull card and something else. The, the wonder of that item makes me so... It makes me... like It puts me in awe, and the fact that we made it into the set, and it feels perfect as far as the flavor because of all the, the things that could possibly happen it, it it's it was a perfect execution of that card thank you yeah i i'm um, really pleased like so the art for the cards i think was commissioned for a dragon article um before uh Mattis at edgarmore abbey came out but then um we used that same art and put it on actual cards that that came in the box set with the adventure and then that same art appears in the dungeon master's guide um, and now 
it's the same art on all these magic cards, including the card back in the uh, the actual deck of many things card. So I'm I'm really just delighted with how that all turned out. Uh, were there any any cards that maybe didn't make it to the set? Like I know for me personally. I was hoping for the rest of the campaigns of the halls to get a card, but I understand that there wasn't enough space. So Caddy Bree and Wolfgar and Regis didn't make it, but were there any cards that you, that maybe just didn't make it into the set that you wanted to see in, in the set? Um, nothing specific. I mean, it's like, wow, we could do three more of these sets. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping for it. <laughs> <laughs> If, if I can just kind of interject with a little anecdote. Once the set got announced, I, I have... The set got announced and I immediately just started prowling the internet to watch anyone any discussion about what expectations were for the set. Because I'm very curious. You know, we talk about distilling down for um for a single set. And th- there is no way one D&D set is ever going to have absolutely everything everyone wants. Uh, we could make 10 of these sets and not get absolutely everything, everything wants in a D&D set. Coming from, like, the designer perspective, you know that this set can't have everything, and you have to make hard choices sometimes. That That is something I hope gamers and players understand from, um, kind of, from, from our side of things, is that we know, we know that there are more things that people want, though they're all the things that people want are probably on a list somewhere waiting for the second version of the set and they won't get to everything then. But if there's still interest, then there will be a third. And and that's just kind of how these things cascade. Yeah. There's so many things that could have been that weren't. I personally do hope we get a second D&D set someday. Yep. I guess it is sort of hard because it, it must have been difficult a little bit because of the fact that like, we don't know when we're going to get another Adventures in the Forgotten Realms type magic set. Like, this is a very unique thing that, that's just never happened before. It probably took years of convincing to get it to this point. And it's already, like, the schedule for release is so tight. Like, where are you going to fit another Forgotten Realms set into Magic's future? I would have felt very, like, I don't want to say pressure, but I would have just, like, felt very sad every time I looked at a card that wasn't going to make it, thinking, like, ah, yeah, we're not going to be able to just throw Felgalos into the next commander set or you know he, he's got to show up in a forgotten realms D set and that's gonna who knows when that'll happen again it feels very parallel to the uh you know how do we get older magic characters into new magic sets where um you know commander products had been used for that uh commander legends which just used modern horizons is now a vehicle for that where uh there are a limited number of opportunities and and so you have very limited choices, right? You know, Modern Horizons one, we got Sarah, Commander Legends, we got Teversot, Jessica, Horizons two got Dakin, and against all odds, Gaia Drone Dahada Planeswalker card in twenty twenty one. No one had that on a bingo card, but like, <laughs> it's one of those things that I you know you know one of the benefits of me being a contractor and and not like a full time Wizards employee is that. I am connected to the community in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, I don't work on all the products, so there are a lot of products I get to enjoy as, you know, a, a community member and a lot of projects I get to enjoy as uh, a writer. I get that it is sometimes frustrating to not know when the next thing that might have your thing is coming. 
Never stop shouting about the things you want, because that's how the game designers know how, you know, you know what people want, and, and that that's all data. It's true. Shouting about the things you want to see is probably more important than shouting about the things you don't want to see. Well, I'll say personally, uh, pretty much all my major wants got hit in this set, so I got my Acerac and Vecna. Uh, Felgalos would have been some, you know, icing on the cake, but yeah, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> awesome. I get the sense that this set had to balance a lot of, you know, this set is going to do beholders. It's one of they're one of D and D's most iconic and unique monsters. So we're going to have a couple beholders in here. There are really weird D and D things that are just not in the set, and you know, would take multiple inter- iterations to do, and uh, you know. Every every D and D monster is someone's favorite D and D monster, and uh, hopefully we get to those one day. Uh, but the, I, I guess a question that we didn't ask that was kind of uh, mentioned that how exactly did the streams cross? Uh, how did the <laughs> set come to be? I'm not sure, honestly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> if anyone was going to know, I thought it would be you. You know, it was a strategic level decision that was above my pay grade. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I, I tell the story a lot about how the Plane Shift series came to exist, right? That I moved from the D&D team to the Magic team. The first thing I was working on was the the Art of Zendikar book that we uh, published with Viz Media. And of course, I approached that as if I were writing a campaign setting book. And a couple of people said to me, yeah, we should we should absolutely release a uh, a supplement to let you use it that way in a D&D campaign. And I, I did it as mostly a labor of love and um, to keep my toes in the D&D pool a little bit while I was work- working on magic. And, you know, it's my hobby. Um, it, when it stopped being my job, it was even easier for it to be a hobby. And ultimately, um, you know, I... I found a brand manager who would walk around the fourth floor with me and um, ask all the people who needed to give approval for this to happen, kind of expecting that somebody was going to repeat what we all knew, that we don't cross the streams and Mm -hmm. and kill this idea. And nobody did because whoever the voices were that made that decision 20 years ago were gone. And um, whatever the, the rationale was 20 years ago, nobody thought that way anymore. Um, and uh, we saw opportunities instead. And, um, you know, those proved to be super successful. Um, Lots and lots of people, to my surprise, (laughs) downloaded these things that that I uh, worked on as -hmm. as my hobby. And that, I think, pretty clearly demonstrated that uh, actual source books with teams of people working on them and resources Mm -hmm. to develop them um, could be even more successful and that has proven true as well and from there i think it was a pretty obvious step i mean from the first time i did plane ship zendikar i had people saying great do a magic set next i'm like folks i am writing these on my couch in front of my evening television <laughs> the scope <laughs> scope difference between my pdf and magic set is enormous and the scope <laughs> difference between my pdf and Guildmaster's guide to ravnica is also enormous mm-hmm. But again, you know, the success of the one demonstrated that uh, putting more resources toward these things was viable and desirable. And here we are. 
Well, thank you for the, the plane shifts. I just sent the Innistrad one to my regular D&D group because I ran a one-shot with them set on Innistrad. And... Oh, that's right. You ran the one-shot that you ran with us. Yeah. They know nothing about magic. So I was like, look, this is the one-shot I want to run for us. Y'all need to learn about Innistrad. You only know about D&D. Here's a perfect document for you. Awesome. Chris, I have a question. Yep. You, you, did, you ran that already? I did. It already happened. How'd they handle the end there, that final encounter? You know, every single time, uh, both with your party and this one, someone comes up with what they need to do and understands it immediately. And they spend like two rounds not doing it. Excellent. Before they finally do it. Um, but it was good. Oh, uh, that's it was great. Good. It was good. Uh, to put it, the end of the encounter is... Uh, I guess spoiler alert if you're ever going to do this with Chris. Uh, the end of the encounter is a um, a cult leader doing a ritual to revive a uh, demon lord. Uh, eat, there are a bunch of cups uh, There's uh, uh, around the room that get uh, filled with uh, party members' blood. And the way to stop the ritual is to drink back your own blood, which will give you uh, some kind of temporary boost at a cost. Very, very cool demonic magic related thing and uh our god when we did that we we spent more than two rounds i think we spent maybe five rounds i i would hesitate too before drinking that cup <laughs> i i said it immediately i was playing a vampire and i'm like cups full of blood just drink them come on humans it's not that weird <laughs> now that 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 was, that was fun i i really enjoyed uh playing that Turns out when you put something in a cup, people do eventually think maybe we should drink this. <laughs> Whether or not they do it quickly is a different discussion, though. Yeah. Yeah. D D D fun. RPG is fun. Magic fun. Um, I think that is where we are gonna kind of call the episode. Uh, James, unless you know, you know, final final thought from you, James. Anything else you just kind of want to say broadly about the set, or uh, you know, D and D in general, or 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 what? Uh, actually, Lorelai, I really like what you just said. D uh, D fun, magic fun. Like, <laughs> God, I hope people have fun with this set because that is absolutely the spirit in which we created it. All of us love magic and love D and D, and oh my God, what fun it is to bring them together! And yeah, have have a blast, folks. This is this is this is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that that is that is my two-faced reaction to every product i work on that gets released is is uh i have one face sitting there like hard eyes like god i hope people have fun with this and then i have the sweaty concerned you know hand on my forehead oh my god i hope people better have fun with this <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this is this was a weird project <laughs> um that uh i was i was very happy to be a part of uh it was a unique experience for me as a writer who uh you know entered the set with only a cursory knowledge of dungeons and dragons lore and left the set still barely scraping the surface but it's like (laughs) if you could excavate entirety entirely through the earth's crust you've you've gone really deep but only barely penetrated into the total you know radius of the planet and that's kind of what working on this set felt like for me but uh I I hope that uh, folks out there will uh, enjoy this set. Uh, like I said, it's uh, it's out on uh, Magic Online and on Arena currently, and uh, will be out in paper soon. 
Yeah, it's a weird thing, and I hope people embrace kind of the fun and weirdness of it. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, like, to magic players who might be interested in D&D, go have fun with D&D, uh, to, I don't know how many of the D&D players who are getting into magic out of this, uh, you know, will be listening to the show, but, like, I, I, you know, if you have, you know, Chris, you mentioned you have friends who play D&D that don't really know anything about magic. I, I hope this set also spurs some D&D players to try out magic, uh, now that there's, like, kind of a, an easy flavor leap uh, into into magic with something at least a bit familiar to kind of lessen the load of learning. And uh, if you're looking for a place to talk about D&D with magic players, boy, have we, we got a good one. We know a good place to talk about D&D with magic players, don't we, Lorelai? We, we do, but first I want to <laughs> thank James for coming on our show uh, again uh, and uh, talking over this. Uh, this was uh, your last magic set before you went back to the D&D team, right? Um, my last full magic set, yes. Full set, yeah. I will miss having you on those teams. Uh, you were a, a delight to work with. Um, always Likewise. appreciated your your comments uh thank you uh and uh insight and uh contributions to all those sets that you've worked on uh over the years and uh, i hope we have a good time back in dd oh i'm loving it thank you yeah it you know you were there for a long time and uh i i assume it feels good to to be back it feels uh kind of stretching your legs on familiar territory i hope yeah although it's funny how much uh the dnd team has changed since mm-hmm. i left um and mm-hmm. you know i'm still finding my way around new processes as i work to bring my first book uh to the printer in a couple of weeks oh that's exciting congrats yeah thanks yeah, uh, James, uh, if people want to find you on the internet, if you want people to find you on the internet, I should say, <laughs> uh, where can they find you? Uh, the best place is on Twitter, where I am Aquella James, A-Q-U-E-L-A James. Um, that's the D&D setting I created when I was in high school. Congrats, you did it. You work on D&D now. Yeah. <laughs> well, have been, I guess, but uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, Chris, so uh, there is a place where all that can happen. And uh, that is the VorthosCast Discord server, which uh, you can access by heading to patreon.com slash the VorthosCast and uh, pledging even as low as a dollar a month uh, to help keep the show running and and keep us bringing you episodes. Uh, You know, this is the first episode we had a couple weeks off, uh, so um, we thank all our listeners out there and all our supporters for patience while we were... uh, taking a short break because lordy pandemic is tiring and also there was a holiday weekend in there so happy birthday america i guess i don't actually like america that much but uh, (laughs) um uh you know i i do like our listeners and and our um patreon supporters and we uh, appreciate everyone who uh you know helps support the show and and makes this show a thing that gets to be shared between, you know, Vorthoses from around the world. And uh, if, if you're looking for a good community to play Magic or, uh, you know, maybe get introduced to D&D, we run, uh, folks have run some D&D things uh, within uh, the server. Um, you know, we have a bunch of wonderful folks there for you to come hang out and be big nerds with. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast.